not awkward, just smooth sailing. Let's read a book. We are a podcast for nerds. So. Podcast for my mom. <laughs> your mom's a nerd. She counts. We, if you're, if it's just for sure. your mom, your mom's been doing a really good job of setting up fake accounts to like and comment on our Facebook page. She's very tech-sub. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Uh, so I think we're we're into it now. The Trade Waiters. Yeah. Uh, we are going to be talking about Paper Girls, Volume One and Two. And I believe uh, at a certain point in this episode, a wormhole is going to open up, and Angela Malik is going to drop out of it and join us in this recording. Uh, in the meantime, though, <laughs> we have a special guest, returning champion. <laughs> Jess Pollard is here with us today. Say hello, Jess. Hello. Uh, thank you for having me. As always, it's a treat. Really excited. Yay. Yeah. It's good to have you. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think this is a, a book that uh, it's worth mentioning that we will be mentioning spoilers because there's a lot that happens in this book. And if you have not read it, you will find out everything that happens in yeah. the first two volumes at least. Yeah, so if you wanted to enjoy reading Paper Girls for the first time, you should read that before this episode, or if you want to come off really cool at parties like you've read Paper Girls but you <laughs> never have, listen to this episode. We'll, we'll have to throw in a few key things that didn't happen in the book just so that you can find the people who have not done their homework. Right. Okay, so should we do uh, introductions? Sure. Do you have a character revealing question? I do. I was really on point. I'm very proud of myself. I researched not only the writer, but the artist this time. uh, And I made character revealing questions. Okay. My character revealing question is, what, if anything, from your childhood do you remember fondly, but upon revisiting as an adult... Uh, found really disappointing. Hmm. Uh, childhood, or, childhood or adolescence. So just something you remember from your youth that maybe you remembered loving fondly, and then when you went and looked at it again, you were just realizing it was not actually very good at all. Uh, and I'll, maybe I see some people scratching their heads, so I will start. Uh, so I'm Jeff Ellis, and I recall as a youth spending a lot of time with my mom watching Quantum Leap and thinking it was an amazing science fiction show. And so when it showed up on Netflix, I was really excited. And uh, that show's not actually very good. It's really (laughs) not well-written, and the acting's a bit ham-fisted, and there's actually, it gets a little racist at times, and it's like very regressive in a lot of ways. Uh, So yeah, it just doesn't really hold up. Uh, in in the year 2017. So, uh, yeah, that was my <laughs> something my friend uh, called Night Rider Syndrome. How, how, what does that mean? Well, so my friend had the same experience with the show Night Rider, which okay. as a youth he remembered loving Night Rider, and he tried to watch an episode 
as an adult and was like, this is unwatchable garbage. <laughs> so it's that's what we I, I that's my own kind of internal language is Knight Rider syndrome. So okay. what what was your Knight Rider syndrome? <laughs> Anyone want to step in? I just keep thinking that um, how much I loved Lego as a kid. And I went to the Lego store recently, and I still had a great time. <laughs> still, so it's kind of hard for me to pick something. Uh, who are you, by the way? Oh, I'm Jess. Um, hello. Jess Pollard. <laughs> if you please. If you please. Um, I love comics. I'm in art school right now, and I do a webcomic called Liquid Shell, which you can find at liquidshell.tumblr.com. Excellent. So everything that you used to be a fan of, you still find holds up then? Yeah, actually, a lot of stuff still holds up. The beach is still good. Lego <laughs> is still good. I still like text-based adventures. Okay, stop bragging. I'm you sorry. have impeccable taste. Yeah. We got it. <laughs> I just uh, I always had really good taste as a child, so you see, you're smart about it. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm Jonathan Dalton, and I've been trying to think since Jeff posed this question about an example that I can think of. I'm sure there are things that I've tried to watch as an adult that... Uh, I just don't as enjoy as much as I did when I was a kid. But I can't think of anything off the top of my head, and I think part of that is because I've been avoiding a lot of shows I watched when I was a kid, especially uh, anything that was written for kids specifically, like cartoons, for example. I, I was a kid in the 1980s, so um, the quality of cartoons has increased significantly since then. And I don't care to even try to revisit any of those old shows because I know for a fact I will not enjoy them now. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, I'm Kate Ross, and I have a memory of one of those things where you tell someone it's, like, super good, and you go to watch it together, and you're just so embarrassed because it's literally the worst thing. You have to turn it off halfway through because you're like, I'm sorry, I I hacked up. This (laughs) This was funny when I was 14, and it no longer is. My friends in high school in grade 9, we were very into... It's a British sitcom called Coupling, and it's just about a bunch of friends boning each other. Um, <laughs> it's like a situational comedy. Anyway, it's, it's bad. It was really, really funny when I was 14. Oh, it's hilarious. Oh, it's like a peak comedy. So good. And then we tried to get a friend to watch it uh, when we were in university, and we had to turn it off because we were so embarrassed by how bad it was <laughs> and we had accidentally hyped it the entire time leading up. Like, mm. so funny so funny i bet it holds up it's so funny no it's not <laughs> it was bad it was so embarrassing i think i think that's just good advice for when you're introducing your friend to a thing is that you just underplay it you're like it's probably not actually very good you're not even going to enjoy it <laughs> so that when you finally show it to them they're like oh you know you you said it was going to be like a, a garbage fire but it was it was all right i enjoyed it actually <laughs> I think it's just a normal regular fire <laughs> so uh do you want to tell us a little bit about the creators i do because I don't think we've mentioned them yet. No. So uh, Paper Girls is published by Image Comics. And so it is scripted by Brian K. Vaughn. And it is drawn by Cliff Chang. So Cliff Chang is an American comic book artist, formerly an assistant editor at DC Comics, which I found interesting. And he's now working as an illustrator. He's done work for Human Target, Beware the Creeper, Uh, Crisis Aftermath, The Spectre, and Green Arrow, Black Canary, to name a few. So he's a really seasoned, I guess, kind of mainstream uh, comic book artist, which I was actually kind of surprised by because I felt like his 
art style. I mean, I could see it working for a superhero work, but it it's I felt like it had a flavor of its own that was sort of not what I would consider like a DC house style. And then uh, Brian K. Vaughn is an extremely prolific writer. He has written comic books and uh, television series. So he's probably most well-known for Why the Last Man, but he's also done a series Ex Machina, Runaways, Pride of Baghdad, and Saga. And in television, he was writing episodes of Lost, and he actually was the, uh, I think, head writer for a series called Under the Dome. So he's done quite a lot of television in addition to his comic book work, which I found really fascinating. And a lot of it seems to be in a sort of a science fiction-y vein. Oh, yeah, very much so. So I think just, I would say uh, my first encounter with Brian K. Vaughan was actually when he did Runaways for Marvel Comics, which was a series about the children of supervillains rebelling against their parents to form a superhero team, which is was a lot more interesting than I'm making it sound. <laughs> oh, it was a fun <laughs> one, yeah. I quite like that. Um, I haven't read it in a long time, but yeah. Yeah, no, I, I read that one, or at least part of it, um, yeah. back in the day. It's it's one of the few Marvel superhero comics that I would still say, yeah, that's pretty okay, you can read that, <laughs> and, and like it'd be fine. So yeah, I actually, it's funny, I despite him being so prolific, I have not read a lot of his comics. I read some of Why the Last Man, but I didn't finish Why the Last Man, and not for any particular reason, it's just kind of got buried under my to-read pile. Um, and then I have not read Saga, despite every person I talk to recommending I read it. So really, uh, Paper Girls is my first time revisiting Brian K. Vaughan since Runaways, and uh, he does not disappoint. I was really pleased with the kind of quirky, sort of interesting approach to the storytelling. Like, everything was just, it felt very unique, and I didn't feel like it was very derivative other than the fact that it is sort of maybe playing off that 80s nostalgia. I know that this got hyped as, uh, on the internet, this was getting hyped as, did you like Stranger Things? You should read this comic, because it's basically the same thing. Which I can see why people uh, have made that comparison, but I do feel like this is very much its own thing. It really isn't. Yeah, it didn't make me think of Stranger Things at all. Other than the fact that it's set in the 80s, then that's where the similarities end. So... Uh, yeah, I I really enjoyed it. Um, we can maybe dive into talking about the story, but maybe I'd love to get some impressions from you guys. I love this book. Uh, I've read some other things of his, and I wasn't sure quite what to expect going into this because, like, I've read Saga, and it was okay. I didn't get all, like, I read a few volumes of it and then got bored. And I didn't know anything about Paper Girls going into this, so I didn't even know like what the central central premise was or even what genre it was. And then when it started to sort of turn into a time travel story, I was like, whoa, it's like someone wrote this story for me. <laughs> uh, like I love the art style. The art style is like, this is kind of what I try to aspire to, I think, in terms of uh, art. Just like the style of it seems very, very like my kind of thing. And the uh, the story is really good. I enjoy this much more than anything else of his that I've read. So yeah. Good pick. All right. Excellent. Sure. So um, I'll be honest, my initial reaction um, to this book was I started reading it, and then I immediately had to put it down, and I was like, I don't think I am up 
to reading this right now because it drops the actually offensive F word like a couple pages in and then there's an AIDS dig and I get that it's the 80s but in the moment I was just like not prepared to handle that and I had to put it down and then I came back to it later and literally the moment I turned the page it got better because it was a calculated choice and the characters do things and it makes sense but that was my like very first reaction was like oh boy perhaps this is not for me um but uh, as I had to read this for the podcast, I soldiered on, and I did quite enjoy it. I loved, I'm a sucker for time travel. I don't know, I don't know what to say. I'm just a sucker for time travel. <laughs> and visually, it's a very striking book. The colors by Matt Wilson are just really fantastic, and I don't know if it would be quite the same without them. Because hmm. yeah. they're, they're yeah. really just gorgeous. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. I think the color palettes... Yeah, work really well. I just even the way that it's incorporated in the graphic design of the books themselves, these just vibrant colors, it just really adds to the overall atmosphere. It's almost almost a limited palette. Yeah, it's like these are the colors I aspire to as well. <laughs> yeah, the coloring is beautiful. I actually have a funny story about this. Um, while I was reading it on the bus, I downloaded the digital copy of it. So I was oh, reading yeah. it on the bus on a smartphone, and it's a small phone. And uh, somebody came up from behind me who was at the back of the bus who saw me reading it. They didn't know what I was reading. And they came up and they said, what comic is that? Like, I need to find out. And I told them about it. Um, so the art was actually so compelling that somebody came up <laughs> to me and asked me what I was reading. So the colors are, like, absolutely beautiful. I would say it's a bit of a limited palette. I really like um, how they handle light and shadow. And the actual, like, the line art itself is fantastic. It's a beautiful book. And... Um, if you can't get a physical copy, um, just to let everybody know, I got my digital copies from the Image Comics website, and it was like $8 for a PDF. I definitely recommend that. Oh, wow. If you want to read it um, and you're just at home on your computer, it's a really good option. I didn't know you could get a PDF from Image. That's cool. Yeah, the Image Comics, I think it's just their main website, so it's on my phone. Oh, right That's on. Good to know. Yeah. That's I would I would like to compare that to some of the stuff I buy from Comixology because if I could get PDFs for cheaper, I'd probably just do that. I do want to say though I think that it affected my reading of it. Hmm. Reading it on my tiny um, Samsung, I I could tell the book design was beautiful, and I can see in your hands it's a beautiful book design, and you miss out on the book design, hmm. which is something I also wanted to talk about in addition to the traditional comics aspect, the art and the coloring, the actual design of the book is really beautiful, um, and the typography that they use as well, so mm-hmm. something you miss out with the digital copy, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's just shout out uh, Jared K. Fletcher, who did the Paper Girls logo and book design. <laughs> nice, yeah, great yeah. job. <laughs> I love what you did. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm so done with comic books that have, like, the logo of the company in the corner and the title at the top, and then, like... T- all the characters on the cover, and like this is not that. This is an actual. Someone has actually put some thought into this book book design. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. We're kind of absolutely. in a golden age of book oh yeah, design. Like, yeah. And you know, if somebody ever wants to make comics, it's something that's so fun. In addition to the art, you get to do book design and um, you know, typography. So yeah, book design is one of my favorite things to do, but it's not a cheap hobby to have. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, now that we've sort of talked about the overall aesthetics of the book, uh, should we talk a little bit about what actually happens in Paper Girls? Sure, that might take a while because there's a lot of stuff that happens. Uh, you know, I mean, one thing I put in, I agree. Now, one thing I put in my notes, though, is I actually appreciated how it was a little bit of a slow, I felt it was a slow build. 
in that you open up with 1980s. It's Halloween night. Uh, your uh, seemingly your main your main character is you know starting her her first day as a paper girl, and she encounters like the local bullies. You know, appropriately dressed up in 80s inspired Halloween costumes, and then encounters the other girls that do paper roots. And you know, initially it just seems a little more of a grounded story about these girls running their paper roots in the 80s, and then the shadowy figures show up. And things start to get weirder and weirder and weirder. But I do feel like uh, Brian K. Vaughan does a good job of sort of slowly turning up the heat so mm-hmm. that you don't just get, like, shocked by just how crazy everything's gotten. That like By the time you get into book two and it's crazy bananas and there's, like, giant microorganisms uh, attacking each other in front of a bridge, like, at that point you're like, oh, yeah, sure, of course, like, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it does, like, credit to to Brian K. Vaughan for taking things that don't seem like they make sense and then making them make sense. Mm-hmm. Like one of the things that I think that this does be- better than Saga is that the sort of the twists and turns, and he does this thing, which is not my favorite thing about it, but he does this thing where, like, the end of every chapter is like a cliffhanger sudden some new crazy thing like it's a giant water bear you never saw that coming huh <laughs> but then he like makes it work yeah uh, as the story continues and i think it that sort of like trick he does works better here uh in part because it's he has a smaller sandbox to play with like um in saga it's a sort of a fantasy science fiction story so it takes place in like a whole galaxy and you can do literally anything in in that kind of a space but here we're confined to basically time travel with some extra things added. So I think that limits it just enough that the things that happen are like, okay, all right, I guess that kind of fits. I'm on board still. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciated some of the harder sci-fi in the series. For example, they talk about how if, say, I teleported or I time-traveled 100 years in the past, the Earth wouldn't be in the same location it is right now, so I wouldn't just teleport back to the same spot I'm in right now 100 years ago. So I thought that was kind of cool, because sometimes mm-hmm. people don't talk about the details of mm. time travel, and they did, and uh, I, yeah, I like I, hard sci-fi, so that was cool. That was a detail I really appreciated as well. Mm-hmm. Time travel, it's not as simple as you think it is. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's actually very complicated. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And I, I mean, I, I also enjoyed the way that uh, Brian K. Vaughan and, you know, touched on things that were familiar to the reader but wouldn't be familiar to oh, yeah. the girls. So I, I thought this was things. just such a brilliant final page in that early chapter where she picks up the device that has the Apple logo on it and she has no idea what that means or what this is like it has she has no context for this but for us you look at that and go like oh it's an apple device from the future (laughs) (laughs) and there's so many things like that like the um they're not actually pterodactyls they're quetzalcoatluses like they show up uh like (laughs) these people riding on these giant flying ancient creatures Jonathan throwing some shade at people that were calling them pterodactyls okay but like in in the story they never call them Quetzalcoatlus because none of the characters know what they're called right they just call them monsters or demons or uh, pterodactyls because they don't know right but if you know what a Quetzalcoatlus is you can say no yeah that's definitely a Quetzalcoatlus there we go (laughs) the most terrifying of all extinct animals yes (laughs) Uh, but yeah, so so essentially there's time travel, 
what a sense... I mean, I'm trying to think if there's a way to boil down the plot. Because it seems to me... It's a little hard to like, figure out still. There are, the there are teenagers from the future who stole a time machine to kind of hang out in the past and collect cool stuff from the past. And then there's adults who are part of, like, the time police who are chasing... Yeah, the old-timers. The old-timers who are chasing these teenagers down to make sure they don't wreck the timeline. But then they're also kidnapping people from... From our time? Mm. Or from the and 80s, I guess? Them. But I, I think they were collecting them because they've been contaminated by encountering these teenagers from the future. Maybe? That's still At unclear. least that was, that was my read of it. Okay. Yeah, and then at one point, uh, the main characters travel from the 1980s to 2016 or 17... Yeah, um, 2000, the present. 2016 because that's when the book uh, came out. They make well, it's 2016 because they actually make reference to the uh, election that's right. signs for Trump and Hillary on someone's lawn, and it was this sad thing where the girls are like, "Oh, do you think a woman could become president?" And you know, in the time that I'm reading this story, it's like a knife in the heart. We're like, "Oh, <laughs> you don't even know." <laughs> yeah, you're in the darkest rough. timeline. <laughs> Um, <laughs> We're in the evil timeline. <laughs> yeah. That's why I grew this grow tea. <laughs> <laughs> I've been in the dark timeline for a while. My grow tea has been here for a while. <laughs> and uh, then also when they get to 2016, another version of Aaron, who's one of the girls, like uh, they've time traveled to 2016 and they've met up with present day Aaron. And then another young version of Aaron, but from the future, shows up. So there's three versions of the same person running around 2016. Yeah. I enjoyed how that played out. And I especially enjoyed uh, young Aaron talking to old Aaron. Oh, that was that was my favorite part. It's a, it's a thing, like, you, you would think that more people who write about time travel would hit on that as, like, isn't that the one of the best possible stories you could tell with time travel? the same person meeting themselves after, like, however many years difference. And it's done so rarely, and I don't think I've ever seen it done as well as this. I just really like the sort of the interaction between the two of them. Yeah, it's really sweet, um, because there was sort of that initial disappointment, if I recall correctly. (laughs) Yeah. um, Or uncertainty, like, is this the person I wanted to be? But then they have this moment when they come together and they accept each other. Mm-hmm. Or young Erin accepts the older version of herself and actually like praises her for some of these qualities that she has. And um, it's a very sweet relationship. Yeah, it gets after her for being down on herself. Like, no, yeah. you've got a lot of stuff figured out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think it was. Yeah, I mean, I think it was. It was really intriguing. Just the the the, the particular ages that they're at too, because Erin is. What is she like? 16, 17? No, I think she's or even younger. younger. They're way younger like than that. Twelve. Yeah, I think I, oh. the second time through. Guys, I there's like, a oh. there's a wormhole opening up. Oh no! Look oh, out! Boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but this wormhole just opened up. Oh my! We we said at the beginning of the episode a wormhole is going to open up and Angela was going to drop out of it. Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> Here I am. <laughs> 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 we may do uh, yeah. a little editing, but you know, we'll see. Uh, it's funny, a appropriate just like Velcro. Yeah, <laughs> who yeah. knew? Appropriate to Paper Girls, Angela has 
time slipped into the studio here. Indeed, I have. <laughs> Great to see you all. Hi. Hi. Hello, I'm Jess. Angela. Nice to meet you, too. <laughs> How's it going? Okay. Yeah. So sure. basically, what all we've done so far is just talk about the book and our first impressions. Okay. Yeah. Sure. I'll ask you a oh, character-revealing character question, question too. Oh, okay. So my character-revealing question was, what from your childhood do you remember fondly which upon revisiting as an adult, you realize was terrible? Oh. Uh, most things? I don't know. <laughs> what was the one that hurt the most? <laughs> oh, gosh. I don't know. That's really hard to say. I, I really enjoyed climbing trees a lot when I was a kid. Uh, and I don't know that I've ever revisited that. So it can, it can stay preserved in amber. Oh, there we go. I think. That it. That's my final answer. Nice. All right. <laughs> Tree forts. I think hanging around under trees would lose its appeal uh, as an adult. All Although right. maybe not. I still do that on my weekends <laughs> most days. <laughs> Good to keep that as like, just in case you ever feel like you need to climb a tree, uh-huh. now you can, without any expectation that it would be disappointing. Yeah. I, I let my husband climb the trees now. <laughs> it's hard to stop him from doing it, so right. I'm like, you, you tell me how it is up there. <laughs> I assume nice. he sends good reports back. Good yeah. tree, yeah. A like plus, would recommend. Yeah, it's nice up here. Yeah. <laughs> so we were, um, we gave our first impressions, so maybe okay. did you enjoy Paper Girls? Uh, Paper Girls was uh, interesting. So overall, I can say that I, I it never really caught me. Hmm. It never really caught me, and it was funny because I've spent a lot of time reflecting on why it didn't catch me, because if you examine all of the aspects in individually, <laughs> like if you, uh, like I think the characters are really interesting and well-designed, the, the plot's kind of interesting, and there's like interesting aspects to it, but none of them really gelled for me. Hmm. So overall, I think it's a book that I should have liked. Ah, but, but in the same boat. Yeah. In the exact same boat. Yeah. Interesting. And I think it's... a. It's great, and I would tell anybody to buy it for sure. But yeah, I don't feel as deeply invested as it in it as I expected to be because all of the components are so good and the art is so good. Yeah, I, I've been trying to figure out why, like what about it. I don't know. I find I get that reaction a lot to books that come out in issues and not hmm. graphic novels, and I think there's just something inherent to that particular method of storytelling because it's a specific framework that. Someone has to work with it, and you can tell really great stories that way, but I find there's just something about it that um, usually it's just just slightly off for me, and I don't know how to explain it. And mm. I think it's maybe just the way the pacing winds up happening to be formatted that way, or, or just like within the limitations what they're able to do. But I find that's something I, I've, a feeling I experience more with um, books that are collected from coming out in floppies. Mm. But I don't know. I, I think you might be onto something there, though, because I would definitely say, like, from my initial time, when I started reading comics, I was always reading just week, like monthly floppies, and I was used to that structure of, like, every chapter ends on a cliffhanger. But when you uh, start to read, like, books that were intended to be a graphic novel, you start to realize, like, oh, you can really just build and build and build, and you can spend a lot more time on things, and... When you look at a, like mainstream comics that are on that monthly schedule, you don't really have time for that. Like you can't have a, a an issue that gets released where it's just two people walking down a hallway to establish mood. You have to have something happen, or people aren't are going to regret buying that book. And so it does sort of generate a little bit of a 
like a start stop kind of pace that happens where something like 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 ghosts that we recently reviewed that really freed the artist to just spend a long time developing or to speed things up as was appropriate to the story where i think that yeah definitely the pacing of this story is dictated by the publishing schedule that it's on and that might be something that's a contributing factor yeah, that could be. Uh, if we're if we're going to delve further into this discussion, like as as I was trying to assess why this book didn't work for me, which is funny because usually it either works or it doesn't, and I'm like, ah, not for me. But uh, <laughs> because again, like so much of this should have worked, I, I spent quite a bit of time thinking what what wasn't working, and two things really stuck out for me. One, I think the setting. The setting was very wink, wink, nudge, nudge about it. I don't know. Like the way that they brought in all the 80s references, because I think 80s kitsch and 80s nostalgia is supposed to be a big part of the hook of this. Right. And uh, I'm an 84 kid, so I feel like I just kind of missed the wave. And so all of the the winks and nudges, I'm just like, meh. Hmm. It it does nothing for me. (laughs) The other thing is it felt like this book was supposed to be about female friendship. And yet, the point of view character was not a part of the other three trio of girls. And those other three girls, their relationship was not really explored at all. Hmm. And so I felt like it was trying to be like, yeah, girl power, girl friends. And yet, they're not, they're not friends. Hmm. <laughs> they're just plainly not friends. They're people who just met. Right. And it, it, it feels that way to me. Hmm. And so those were two, I think, of the biggest things that kept me from being drawn in. But okay. I'm not sure if that's all of it. The pacing is a is another really good theory as to yeah. why it just didn't yeah. didn't work out for me. Yeah. Now, yeah, I mean, I I'm I'm curious about the the '80s nostalgia thing because I know that that was we, we talked about that earlier that people had said, oh, if you liked Stranger Things, you'll love Paper Girls, and I. I mean, I'm a kid, I'm an 80s kid, exactly 1980, and this was going to hit all of my marks, and I, I appreciate it. I'm like, oh, yeah, yep, oh, yeah, okay, good. But I actually felt like the things that kept me excited were all the things after they left the 80s. It was more like the time travel and the, the old timers and, like, this the weird language they speak and, like, this futuristic Apple device. Like, all of that stuff was what really kept me in the story, like, the, the 80s trappings at the beginning were like, oh, thanks for that. But, uh, you know, it's I'm more interested in the future, really. But, I mean, that's maybe just my impression. So uh, Maybe. How about for some of the people that completely missed the 80s? Yeah, it totally <laughs> wasn't even alive in the 80s. I was still pooping my pants in the 90s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, now I feel yeah. old. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yes, you are, though. Um, <laughs> Ooh. To be fair, he's Thanks. not the oldest. <laughs> yeah, you're old too, John. We know. <laughs> oh. Man. Um, a lot I of mean, shade in this podcast. I don't know. I guess guess I'm just maybe kind of numb to the 80s reference because we're in such like an 80s saturated um, callback. Like We would just sort of cycled through fashion being throwbacks to the 80s. We're finally getting back to the 70s that I love. Um <laughs> Like, yeah, there's so much media that's kind of like things that were in the 80s are now, and a lot of people who are kids in the 80s are, oh, not a lot of people, like people who are kids in the 80s, were kids in the 80s are adults now, not just some of them, all of them. Like, they made well, it that there far. is that one guy, but they're <laughs> keeping him in a lab for study. Not the people born in leap years. Um, <laughs> sorry, that's really dumb. <laughs> so I don't know, I, I guess it's just sort of like white noise, it's just kind of yeah. like, fine. 
I'm used to it. Didn't yeah. pay too too much attention to it. Uh, I wouldn't mind going back to the talk about like the girls and the friendship because that was honestly initially what kept me from reading this book. Is I kind of it, it's not the fault of the book, but I saw an article online that made me angry, and I was like, wow, 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 wow. But it was that article that Jeff is referencing. But it specifically was like. Ah, uh, you liked Stranger Things, here's a great feminist comic, and it's like, everyone involved is a man, and it's not that men can't make feminist work, I just don't feel like they need to be applauded for doing the bare minimum. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, that's just how I feel oh, about that's that. Fair. So that, that's that, fair. that, like, put me off, which is not the fault of the comic, that's the fault of whoever wrote that article, but I was kind of going into this expecting a bit of um, a Rat Queens dynamic. I don't know if anyone else here read Rat Queens, but... Uh, Maybe that's a future trade No, it's not. I don't... <laughs> No. Um, <laughs> the, anyways, Rat Queens very much reads as like a very male gazy. Like, look, we write for women now. High five. Girls can enjoy dungeon crawling too. Um, and I kind of thought that's what this was going to be. And I think I was surprised, not surprised and pleased that it wasn't as bad as I was expecting. But I think your points on, you know, uh, I don't know, th- there could be more female friendship and more exploring the connections. And maybe that's coming but also maybe that should be in the beginning of the story as well yeah. as the yeah. foundation. Or the opposite for me, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we progressed and were kind of... Aaron was established as the primary character, and we learn more and more about Aaron through her future self and alternate self, that started to get me really invested. Yeah. So Aaron as a character, I felt like they should have... This is, this is what I'm saying, is that it's felt like at, at the beginning when you open the book, they're like, here's a story about female friendship and all of these girls who are going to form a gang, and it's cool. And then they're like, never mind the rest of them. Here's Aaron. They should have just like been Aaron the entire time, mm. rather than even touching on any of the others, or at least like, ah, the, the others really do feel quite two-dimensional for me, where they're not doing the legwork that they ought to. Mm. In, in this work, <laughs> Like I feel like a lot of them, except for the one who spoke... <laughs> Yes. Please, I'm so bad with names. I was I guess just Mac. I was just gonna Mac? yeah, Mac, you're right. It okay. was Mac. Mac McKenzie, is the only yeah. one who seems to have additional character traits, and then the other two feel kinda interchangeable from a plot perspective. Yeah. And That's I feel what like I think too, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. No, please. I uh, was just gonna like oh yeah, I, I felt like some of the dialogue could even be swapped between characters. Their voices sounded very similar hmm. in a lot of ways, and it would be hard for me to describe the main cast and sometimes without describing what they look like or what they do just describing their traits mm. but they were it was good though like it was still pretty good writing um but it just didn't like pull me in and like they didn't feel like three-dimensional but, yeah sorry to interrupt no oh. please it was a very yeah. well yeah. well uh, elaborated point that was in the line that i was trying to make yeah. and yeah so but it's like a book where everything is pretty good like it, it does all right i guess but not enough to really hook me and it's yeah. just like, it, it's frustrating because everything comes really close to that mark mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, it's a sci-fi thing. I should like that. And then it's just like, oh, it's a little bit uh, too on the nose of sci-fi or mm. I don't know, like no, yeah. the, the sci-fi aspect didn't actually grab me that much. Mm. And like the female friendship, oh, that should be really cool, but it didn't quite get there. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was frustrating where everything was almost for me. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think the points about the other two girls is totally valid because I, um, I can remember Mac and I can remember Aaron, but I can't, I could not tell you the other two girls and I mean I remember Matt because she smokes and then when she goes to find herself in the future she finds out she died of cancer and I think that was that was like a good moment in the story 
But I mean, she also but that's had not the a, only moment she gets. Yeah, it's her only no, no, moment. That's not necessarily but she true. Had a, you learn she a lot a, about her parents. And okay, she had true. a personality. She had other character traits. She stood out. Um, but I think the other two girls didn't stand out. And I mean, like half of the second book was finding the one girl that was missing. And you know, it's funny because you mentioned like there wasn't much of a friendship to begin with. And that is something that I thought about now is that there was this panic. We got to save our friend. And Aaron's like, yeah, we got to save our friend. And I'm like, you just met her like five minutes ago. Like, I know in the context of this time travel, it's been years. But really, technically, you've only known this girl for about ten minutes. And now you're like, I'm going to risk my life to save her. And it is a little it is a little stilted. It is a little awkward. Yeah. The story is very plot-driven. Uh, as much as I like this story, like, that's definitely true, that uh, it's plot, 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 plot. And that probably comes from having to be published yeah. in issue uh-huh. format. Yeah. I feel like it's very skillfully crafted. It was like, yeah, like I, I felt like at times when I was reading it, I could almost feel the thought process behind it. Being like, okay, this event needs to happen for this to happen, and this character needs to say this for this to happen. And um, I definitely admire that because it is so well constructed, but parts of it do fall a little bit flat at times. Yeah. On the other hand, is it a positive thing that we can see that much scaffolding? <laughs> would it be more skillfully crafted if it was, you know, done in a way that's surprising or would would sweep us along? I think part of that is just the fact that we're all comic writers, so at a certain point, you can start to see the scaffolding in anything. That's mm-hmm. true. That's true. And I I, I annoy the crap <laughs> out of Trevor for being able to like three scenes in. I'm like, oh man, that's gonna happen. And he's like, how do you know? Yeah. <laughs> he's just so yeah. amazed. I had, actually had this conversation with Jeff a while ago where he, he was telling me that um, it's been a while since he'd, he's had a comic that really affected him emotionally. Hmm. And uh, like my explanation for that, at least, because I can, I can sort of feel that a little bit, is that once you're... A, like the, the trade-off for being a writer is that everything you read or see, you're going to criticize. And there's, you're trapped. There's no way out of that. It's like this deal with the devil. Like, you can write stories now but you'll never enjoy anything. Yeah. yeah. No, that made a lot of sense when we talked about that. And um, it is something that I, I appreciate more because, yeah, I, I think about the times I talk to my friends and family who don't do any writing at all. And, yeah, it's, it's fascinating just how much they can get manipulated. Like, oh, I was so sad when that character died. I'm like, you didn't see that that character was going to die? I mean... <laughs> Clearly, they were set up to die to cause the audience to cry in the third act. I mean... <laughs> it's still sad, even if you see it coming, Jeff. God, stop subtweeting me! <laughs> um, actually, one, one character moment that didn't happen to uh, Mac or Aaron uh, was Tiffany's memories of her video game achievements, which I don't know... I know I put a note on here about this, but for some reason I just really enjoyed that it's this three-page sequence of our main character or our character gets choked by like a robot, and she has her life flash before her eyes, and what flashes before her eyes is working really hard to get top score in Pong. I, I think or, it's Brick Breaker. Or brick Break. Yeah, it's Brick Breaker, and so like, oh, it's four four pages of Brick Breaker. Her <laughs> achieving the highest score in Brick Breaker. And then her friends, like, rescue her so she doesn't die. And it's, like, 
she like walks out of that like I think I've wasted my entire life. Yeah, <laughs> just sort of like I don't know subtweeting video game players, I guess. But. <laughs> I that made me want to know so like more about the creature that was strangling her and like what was going on there. Mm. Um, oh, see, I I just read that as uh, her having her life flash before oh, her eyes. interesting, because I totally read it as the creature is manipulating her thoughts to make her think this. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Oh. So. It does seem to be looking for very specific things if it's, like, trying to get her to remember her... Yeah, and I guess maybe I thought that because, like, the eyes on the monster are kind of cubes, and I was connecting right. that to TV screens, oh, but I, I read it totally differently. Interesting. Yeah, see, I, I read this as, like, Brian K. Vaughan putting in, like, a four-page like, barb against video game playing that had nothing to do with the main plot. No, I, I read that because the monsters are from the old-timers from the future. Mm. Um, like, I don't know, I... I guess my hypothesis is it's some kind of like shameful old person thing where it's oh. like you're wasting wow. your life. No, you're <laughs> right. You're right because that, that would oh. fit in very well with how they are described because they're very shaming of youth culture, right? And yeah. they they want to well, like they they describe the the resistance fighters who come through from the alternate mm-hmm. uh, describe themselves as the youth, right? And yeah. uh, so that is a very youth shaming kind of thing. That makes me like that scene a lot better actually if mm. that's what's happening yeah. because like I not terribly satisfied with her response like I don't I can't imagine a lot of 12-year-olds looking back at having played a lot of video games and thinking they've wasted their lives. <laughs> but if they're manipulating her to think that, then I can say, oh, of course. Mm. Uh, I would like to see further fallout of this scene, and maybe there mm. just wasn't mm. book time to, to get there, yeah. because, I mean, she she's like, I've wasted my life, but then you don't really see the ramifications of that right. realization, whether it's real or planted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And how it affects her. Yes. And the, again, the follows back to, like, uh, we don't have enough space for four characters trying right. to be developed at once and right. trying to care about all of them. Yeah. No, for sure. Though that's, I, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought of it that way. That's really interesting. Maybe just as far as interpretations go, can I actually ask you guys, uh, something that really stood out to me was that early in the story, Aaron finds the little Apple device, and she can't get it to do anything for her. And then when she goes into 2016 and encounters herself from the future... Aaron from 2016 picks up the Apple device and it immediately prompts her to log in with her Apple ID and then it works for her. And I thought to myself, like, oh, that's brilliant because, like, probably once you get an Apple ID set up, it's set up forever. It just stays in the, in the, in the servers. So Aaron from 1980 doesn't have an Apple account, so this device doesn't work for her. But in 2016, she can dial into this old account and still access this device. And I was, I don't know, that I just thought was really clever, and I didn't know if that was something other people would pick up on. Like, but I immediately was like, oh, that's brilliant. Like, because she's from the 80s, she wouldn't have an account. Yeah, I think though that um, the Apple device that they're using doesn't exist in 2016 either, though. No. So she doesn't have an Apple account that recognizes her brain. So my theory for that is that at some point in her future, she has an Apple account that recognizes her brain, and that account recognizes Aaron in 2016, but doesn't recognize Aaron from 1988, because she's just too different a person oh, in that Oh, because her space brain hasn't finished growing. Something like that. Mm. You, you could also say voice print as a plausible. Yeah. So if, if you're young, your voice is quite a bit different from when mm. you finish growing, mm-hmm. and but once you finish growing, your voice print is more or less stable. Mm-hmm. So it could be voice print as well. Right. 
Interesting. But okay. I do like that she's got this like legacy Apple account that just never goes. <laughs> yeah, away. like I don't know. I just really enjoyed the fact that, <laughs> and it makes sense. Like I, I mean, not that we're ever gonna. I don't think we're really gonna see time travel. But I mean, I think if for some reason someone was in the future, they probably would find that there is legacy settings carrying right through. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like you sign up for anything, and I like I had to do a thing today where somebody passed away and I had to make sure no more mail was going to their house because it just it happens and you sign up for these things and it's just going to be coming forever yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> until your offspring calls the company and says please stop right. you have to be like oh god I'm so sorry <laughs> yeah yeah no it's true it's kind of insidious how much stuff gets saved on those servers but anyways that's another podcast that's <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh, that's Jeff's paranoid uh, <laughs> digital conspiracy podcast that I'm recording after this. <laughs> Do we want to talk some more about the art? Uh, yeah, yeah, if I can mention really quickly, the one thing that really struck me immediately and was my favorite part about this whole book was the color scheme. Ooh. I loved the coloring in this book. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it's very vibrant. It's very unique. Uh, and I think it's very consistent. And I don't know. I just love it. I love the colors in this book. Yeah, we already mentioned him, but once again, shout out to Matt Wilson. Uh, excellent job on those colors. Uh, uh, and the, I should see what else he's colored. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I would just look up his work in general because I think we, I, I could certainly learn a lot. Uh, I really liked these palettes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the art in general I really liked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, the inking. I kept looking at the inking. Cause, yeah, I gotta know what that's done with. Um, yeah, I, I've always enjoyed Cliff Chiang's artwork like i think i was first exposed to him seeing um some of his work on wonder woman but there's just something about the way his lines work that is so aesthetically appealing to me and i can't explain it or say why i enjoy it but it just looks right they're like like chunky there's a chunky yeah Mm -hmm. and there's it's like controlled and a little bit geometric but also organic at the same time and it just feels like inky and like you really get into the material or at least that's just how it looks it looks like it was probably really enjoyable to ink Mm -hmm. Um, and also the for someone who has i guess mostly done superhero comics like his faces his character like individual characters are so easy to recognize and like he's got a panel, there's a, a page here where Ronald Reagan shows up in Aaron's dream, oh, and he's never it's yeah. never said this is Ronald Reagan, but it looks like Ronald Reagan. You can tell, and that's that's a high level of skill to have a recognizable face from someone who's so out of context. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even I was like, I think that's Ronald Reagan. <laughs> yeah, I also really liked Aaron in the present, Aaron in the future, mm-hmm. and alternate Aaron. I felt like all of those were very clearly linked but distinct. Yeah. yeah, 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 and that's. I mean, uh, yeah, and I think uh, just considering he does have a background in superhero comics, like it's nice to see a superhero comic artist who can draw <laughs> a teenage girl who looks like a teenage girl, and to actually draw different age ranges within the characters you draw. Yeah, bare minimum. We're <laughs> yeah, I know, <laughs> but I would agree. Yeah. I would think no, that no. is done very well. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of superhero books are well I, below the bare minimum. <laughs> nope. I, I rec- <laughs> sorry. I recognize that we're setting the bar very low, but <laughs> I'm just making sure we know that. <laughs> I I don't set the bar. I just n- note when things go above that bar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Kathleen. Uh, okay, do we have other uh, paper girls? Um, well, I have a. I guess I'm going to pose this as a question because I'm not sure 
I'm not entirely sure how I feel about this, but this kind of ties back to something that Kathleen mentioned at the start about how there's a lot of sort of words thrown in just to sort of be edgy, kind of feels like. It feels to me like a lot of Brian K. Vaughan's work is, it, it does a thing that I've decided I'm going to call progressive edgy. We're trying to like, uh, like be edgy and sort of like um, get you to sort of pay attention to what he's doing because look what I'm doing. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do a comic with Le- like just a bunch of teenage girls and it's going to be this like feminist comic. I don't know if he actually described it like that himself, but it, it feels like he's kind of like trying to do this thing and I'm not sure if I'm just making that up whether I'm crazy or whether that's a real thing, or does anyone else sort of feel I I, I resonate with what you're saying. I'm not sure whether it's intentional or not in the okay. way that Brian K. Vaughan is doing it, but definitely the way that, well, you can kind of say, like, as, as Kathleen is describing, it's like someone who's being edgy by doing something that everyone tells them they're supposed to do, and then they're like, yeah, that's right, and they're just sitting back on yeah. their throne like, that's right. Mm. This character's gay for no reason. Like, it's like <laughs> yeah, no, okay, that's exactly yay. it. But, like, it like, feels <laughs> like that's what he's saying to us. Yeah, and like as much well, as I, yeah. I really like this book, and I really like that he's not being sort of the Warren Ellis type of edgy. That's true. That's um, very true. Like, much much better to read this. I think it's still like I don't know. It, it twinges something in the back of my mind. Well, I'm I mean, it, sure. it does start off with a scene where one character drops the actually offensive f word and says. Yeah stuff about AIDS, and then, which uh, I, I told them earlier was my, like, I need to put this book down, and I don't think I can read this right now, because it is, like, I just don't think that you should use that word if you are not, if that is not how you identify. Like, well, if it's, if you're not the person who's able to, like, reclaim that word, don't really use it. And I get that it's the 80s, and I get that that word was used way more then, but it just felt like kind of like a, a pat on the back, I'm an okay person scene because it was like here I'm dropping this word and AIDS is very serious but we're because like uh, the AIDS crisis just like makes me cry it's so like hard to even think about and I didn't even live through it but dropping that thing and then on the next page it's like no actually that's not a great word to use and AIDS is serious like it just really felt like sort of like here's a little pat on the back for being okay actually but I I don't know I feel conflicted because I also like it's like Sometimes not every character is perfect and you don't want everything, you know, whatever. But I don't know. I don't know. Well, further to that point, I had kind of a similar experience where it's like, okay, here's a book. It's about four girls who are friends and it's a feminist thing. And I'm like, okay, well, here we go. Scene one with the the main character. She's threatened with sexual assault. I'm like, okay. You know, like scene one. Like, (laughs) you get really, really tired of it. And so maybe it is this, like this forced edginess and oh you can't have something without that that grid you can't make an impact without it but it's like i i can eh, i can do without it guys mm-hmm. <laughs> i really can and maybe i'm just sort of uh, sticking on this because i feel like um like this is a sort of a cautionary tale for myself like i feel like this is a path that i'm like not as far down this path as brian k Vaughan is but like i could it's the same path and i don't want to go as far as he's going kind of thing yeah, and I think it's it's very important to understand why you're wielding those tools if you can mm-hmm. if you can think of them as tools. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like uh, the edginess is kind of the is a good way to describe it. So it's only put in there for that kind of edginess flavor text and doesn't really serve a higher purpose. Mm-hmm. Whereas you know if you're if you're doing it with you know as part of a fully fleshed out character and narrative and it, it serves a very specific narrative purpose. You know, you you have to be very very mindful when you when you use tools like that. 
Uh, and I, I don't think these tools were used mindfully, perhaps hmm. in this case. I think we could do an entire trade waiters <laughs> just on when and how to appropriately wield these tools. <laughs> I mean, this is something, no, I mean, like this is getting off topic with paper girls, but like those are definitely things uh, I've thought about in my own work because you, know, you write a character that you don't want your audience to empathize with, that you want to like use as a reflection of negative things like that you see in, in you know, like, I mean, with teaching us in Japan, I'm trying to critique the ugly foreigner so I kind of write stuff that is not pleasant because I want to I want to share the experience I had of dealing with these really unpleasant people. So in a way, I, I am wielding some unpleasant tools, but it's true that it's like I don't want that to be seen as, um, oh, well, you're just giving yourself like a get-out-of-jail-free card to just be offensive, right? It has to feel like there's a purpose or an intent behind that that's worthwhile, right? That it's not just being exploitive for exploitive sake, you know? Yeah, and uh, in in the case of Paper Girls, it did not. Eh, eh, I don't know. It didn't come back to a narrative purpose. For example, with uh, with that reference to AIDS, you know, the sexual assault thing was just kind of frivolous, just a one off. Like, oh, raise the stakes, <laughs> you know, all the way to eleven on page three. Uh, <laughs> it's just un- unnecessary to me. It's like just just being. It's like someone who is more mindful would recognize that just being a girl in that context as a girl is threatening enough. Mm. Right. You don't need to go all the way to 11 to make that situation threatening to someone who has lived through an experience that's similar. Right. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. No. For sure. Um, uh, would you recommend? We'll start with Jess. Yeah, I definitely would. I agree with pretty much everything that was just said. Um, I would definitely buy this, and I want, I'm excited to see where the story goes, and I hope that maybe some of the things we've been talking about are expanded on and resolved a bit, because it's only up to volume two, I believe, and I'm not sure how many volumes there's going to be, but like, I'm hoping that as the story develops and more volumes come out, maybe some of these things will be explored a bit more and resolved a bit more, and I want to give it a chance, because like, it's got a lot of really good stuff going for it, and um, especially like, if one is an artist, I would definitely buy this and check it out because the art is so good and it's so beautifully colored and um i say yeah like some some problems aside like definitely give it a chance yeah i think i just echo what jess said like at the end of the day i wouldn't say don't read this yeah i and yeah just as an artist like i think there's so much to take from coloring wise and just art wise um definitely a comic to check out and uh yeah i am interested to see where it goes so there's definitely bunch of stuff here that interests me so yeah hopefully hopefully it goes in interesting directions uh i'm on the fence so uh since it didn't really come together for me i definitely agree that you know if someone was going to be interested in picking up this book i wouldn't dissuade them but i wouldn't enthusiastically recommend it to anyone uh otherwise i'm probably not going to stick with the series if it comes i'm going to like even double trade waiters style like if someone tells me that it gets better i might check it out again but (laughs) i'm at peace with as much Paper Girls as I've read to date. All right. Um, I would definitely recommend this. I'm going to keep reading this myself. Despite some of the concerns you raised, I really enjoyed this, and I want more. All right. Awesome. Cool. Uh, Well, I guess we're going to sign off here momentarily. I am Jeff Ellis. You can find my work at jeff-ellis.ca. And I just recently got back from uh, the Emerald City Comic Con, and I was just going to actually just shout out my friend Ed Brisson, 
because it was at MLC, I found out that he's now writing like three different ongoing series for Marvel. So he's writing Iron Fist, Bullseye, and Old Man Logan. And uh, I know Ed's been working really hard to build up his writing career, and I'm just really happy to see that he's doing well. And I checked out his first issue of Bullseye, and it was great if you're into that kind of thing. So I would say if you like series about psychopathic assassins, Ed does a good job. I'm Jess Pollard, and you can find my work at liquidshell.tumblr.com. And I would like to talk about uh, Intervals by Kaylin Nowles. Nowles? I'm really sorry if I got your name wrong. Um, I got this at Emerald City, and it's just fantastic. It's a zine. So you can find some of his work on his Tumblr, which is K-A-L-E-N-K-N-O-W-L-E-S.tumblr.com, KaylinNowles.tumblr.com. And it's, um, it's the story of how a pile of dirt became a god. Really good stuff, so... I recommend, like, all of his work. I think it's great. All right, I'm Kay Gross. You can find my work. I have a swanky new website. It's CAG Comics, K-A-G-C-O-M-I-X dot com. And I just put up, like, 20 pages of trip comics from a trip I just took to Tofino. So check those out. That's new stuff I made. You can also check out my ongoing webcomic at lunarmalities.com. Man, I have not been consuming a lot of media recently but I am slowly making my way through Contact by Carl Sagan. That's a good book. Would recommend. I'm enjoying it. I gotta get to the end. Gotta get there. (laughs) (laughs) Persevere. Yeah, I'm gonna second that. Good book. Uh, No, my recommendation. John, (laughs) back (laughs) off! I like it too. (laughs) I'm allowed to like things. No. Alright, cool. My name is Jem. I no longer make comics. I just look at the internet and cry. Uh, My recommendation uh, is not a comic. It's Katy Perry's newest music video called Change of the Rhythm, which is really disturbing and dark and weird. And I can't get it out of my head. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) I'm Jonathan Dalton. You can find my work at um, bobos-comic.com. And I'm going to shout out the Kickstarter that Cloudscape is running right now. For two books, uh, we've got Fur Valley by Jason Turner and Feast of Fields by Sean Kramaker, and they are both really good, and I'm looking forward to getting them myself. So check it out. Yeah, kickstarter.com. There'll be a link. We'll put a link there. All right, sounds good. Our next book will be Vatu, Volume 1 by Evan Dom. Trade Waiters is recorded at the Vancouver Public Library in their... Inspiration Lab. That's right. Thank you, library. Thank Thank you, you, Sleuth, for the music. I think that's it. Do we thank any... Thank you, Cloudscape? No. (laughs) No. Hey. Find us on SoundCloud. Thanks for interrupting, Kathleen. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's it. Yeah, all right. Bye. (laughs) 